Welcome to The 12th Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss through books and literature. Mercantile Library is the literary center of Cincinnati, located at 414 Walnut Street. If you haven't visited, you should. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts events with authors and speakers. This is our inaugural podcast, and we're hoping it catches on. We'll feature a discussion of a book or books or a theme hosted by bookish Cincinnatians. I'm Cedric Rose, the collector here at the library. Joining me today on the 12th floor is Chris Messick. Hello. The library's business and marketing manager, as well as Gabby Blosher. Hi. And Brendan Call. Hello. They're both directors of the library and producers of this program. On this inaugural podcast, we'll be discussing John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Since we're starting a podcast that could lead to us being shamed one day, we figured this would be a perfect way to kick things off. First, a little background on the book and the author. John Ronson is an author, journalist, documentary filmmaker, screenwriter, and radio presenter. The author of eight previous works, including The Men Who Stare at Goats, which was made into a movie starring George Clooney, Them, Adventures with Extremists, and The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry. Ronson's works are characterized by a pervasive skeptical wit and his deep personal immersion in his subjects and his predilection for bizarre and absurd and often colorful characters, as well as fringe groups. So You've Been Publicly Shamed begins with Ronson's discovery that a group of researchers has created a spam bot that tweets as John Ronson, at John Ronson, imitating him, the real John Ronson, and in doing so, tweets some pretty embarrassing nonsense. Ronson asks the researchers to take it down, but they refuse, so he films them and posts the interview on YouTube. Viewers of the video ultimately side with Ronson, the real Ronson, and in their vehement reactions, shame the spam bot's creators into taking their creation down. This sets Ronson off on an inquiry into why public shaming, long outlawed in our legal system, is making a big comeback in our interconnected world. It's a powerful, if unwieldy, force accessible at the level of the little guy, which has the power to ruin careers and destroy lives. And I have to say, I, this was a really enjoyable book, very dark, and so let's uh, launch into the discussion. I'll begin with the first question. Is there anybody in this book who you really feel a lot of sympathy for? I think most, most of the people in the book I do, I mean, even the people that did something wrong, I feel like um, the shaming they receive is way out of proportion to, to what they did. And, you know, some people did absolutely nothing. Made a bad joke, made a joke that doesn't really work on Twitter or something, um, or doesn't work with the audience that got a hold of it. So, um, yeah, I think I can't think of anyone I didn't feel for in the book. Not even, not even Jonah Lyra. I mean, I, I felt that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name exactly right, but uh, he went to such great lengths to cover up uh, his falsifications through, throughout the process of even being found out. You, but you still ultimately felt sympathy for him? Yeah, I, I think I kind of did. He's probably the one I felt the least sympathy for, but um, I feel like, you know, maybe the punishment for that should be nobody by nobody buys your books anymore, you don't get to make any more books. But he had that happen. Well, I guess he's got a new book coming out, but, <laughs> you know, but also, you know, people said some really terrible things in a really public way. I mean, I just, I mean, a picture of being on stage and having all those horrible things, you know, he's, he's apologizing on stage and everyone's saying terrible things about him on Twitter and it's just a, like right behind his head and he can read it. I mean, I felt more sympathy for him when he was going through the process. The, the only time I think I felt sympathy for him was when he was going through the process of learning slowly but surely that he was screwed. 
by Michael, by his conversations with Michael Moynihan that, that at the beginning of the book, the chapter about Jonah, you, you sort of learn about um, <coughs> the discussions and back and forth they were happening, ha having and has, um, he was fighting back against the idea of becoming outed, not publicly shamed, just outed for being a plagiarist, right. which needed to happen to him. That needed to happen to him, no matter what. I think, you know, the book was about these big public shamings that are different than anything else we see that we, ha you know, have seen in the past because of social media right. and its reach and it, the participation in it. But I think the, the thing that was, I felt the most bad for him about again was just the experience of learning slowly but surely that like Chinese water tor torture of learning through discussion after discussion after discussion with Michael and question after question with Michael that he was answering with more lies that he was going to be outed as a plagiarist. Yeah. It's he was totally, tr so Jonah was the guy who, who I, am, I hadn't read any of his books, but right. he was totally trying to manipulate the guy who, who found him out, who realized yeah. that he was plagiarizing. And so he was sending him these emails and kind of trying to divert and really playing up the sympathy factor and please yeah. don't do this sort of thing. But then once he realized he, it was going to happen, it's, he like shut down. He got completely yeah. nasty with the guy who yeah. was getting ready to write it. But the other thing, too, is, I mean, he plagiarized only himself, right? I mean, he didn't steal anyone else's work. He no, made he up some quotes about Bob Dylan, yes. too. He stole, wor he stole work, too. Oh, whose work did he steal? Yeah, it was, like, other articles about... Oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he did everything. Oh, okay. He did it all. He did that. He the Bob Dylan stuff was crazy. So he wrote, the, and the backstory is, he, he, um, he, he basically added on to a Bob Dylan quote that he had pulled from somebody else's collection of Bob Dylan quotes right. and then made it to fit the theme that he was trying to go for. I mean, maybe the lesson is you shouldn't read that kind of pop psychology type nonsense <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But except John Ronson books. Except John Ronson <laughs> books. If anything, I feel that um, Lara, Jonah Lehrer was the, the person who had been shamed who, in the end, I still did not, I, I didn't experience this, um, this change in feeling about them like I did with right. so many of these. Same. Mm -hmm. the, I feel the same way. The, per the people that are covered by Ronson here who do do some despicable things, but he delves into it and kind of shows their and shows their human side to such an extent that I experience this change in uh, my feelings towards them. And it's interesting that this this uh, arena of public shaming in opposition to uh, what we would do, the way we regulate people's behavior through the legal system, it really has to, it's, it's very personal for everybody involved, even though it's this mass thing. Um, yeah. Lindsay, Lindsay Stone was the one that I felt like was the one I was felt most sorry for. She was the girl who took the picture of herself at Arlington Cemetery, and it was clearly meant for her and her friends, and it was tasteless but kind of stupid funny, uh, you know, the kind of thing that you would do when, you, when you're in your 20s that has been going on for generations, people doing stupid things when they're in their 20s. It's just that it's now on Facebook, and she ends up losing her job and, and her, her career. And, and, and later in the book, you have... The, the folks from reputation.com try to save her and save her online reputation. And if they say it was one of the most complicated cases that they ever had to take on, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. She took a picture of herself in, you know, at Arlington Cemetery, a dumb picture, but should she really have to have her life rebuilt by a multiple hundred thousand dollar reputation consultant because she did that and it's right. clearly not that's not fair. She yeah. also, her, her um, and I, by the way, going back to what you just said, said I think 
Um, he's a good writer. That's part of why we would, I went through the same thing that you did. I would, he would tell the vignette to start off that was, you know, with, with this, each of these stories about each of these people, he would tell the reader what the person did that was bad, that caused the public shaming, and then give you the backstory of the person, and then that's good writing, good story right. to, yeah. in my mind, so that I really loved the book. That's no, it's, and it's interesting because Ronson himself seems to experience, he, in the beginning, he, uh, he realizes that he has this powerful we weapon at his beck and call, and he uses that effectively, but then he sort of, you sort of get the sense that it's like uh, Dr. Faust or something like that. You, you know, you, we're changed by this powerful weapon that we have. But that's sort of what you were just saying, Gabby, led me to another question um, that's been bouncing around in my mind, which is, you know, Ronson himself as a journalist makes money from exposing, you know, outing people, you yeah. know? And, and he ultimately comes to the conclusion that um, when somebody is shamed, Google makes tons of money. Yeah. Yeah. But how is, but how is, how is that cate categorically different, you know, than traditional journalism? I mean, how is that... Ronson himself is being exploit, exploitative. I you completely say? agree. I think that's such a good point. I, there were so many parts. I, again, I, as a fan of the book and the writing and reading it, I, there were so many points during the book when he, he editorializes. Not, not only does he tell us about these people life, people's lives, and by the way, I've remembered the thing I wanted to say before, which is that um, Lindsay Stone's backstory is the most powerful one, and the most yes. sort of affecting. She was on a trip with a bunch of special needs people in, in DC, mm -hmm. you know, she was do she's like a good person, like yeah. fundamentally, clearly a good person. Yeah, and then blowing, she did off, blowing off steam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. So, uh, so, but he, the reason I think that she was a good person is because I read this book and he editor editorializes her and yeah. her life. And he editorializes every single one of these people that he describes. And he does the thing that, you know, I love reading like New Yorker profiles about people and, I, and you know, people who are good writers, to me, sort of give me this big picture of a person, but these are real life people yeah. and everything is like, everything is a story yeah. and everything is like, this is what I think, but I'm gonna present it like it's a fact. An interesting thing on this is I Googled Lindsay Stone when I was reading the chapter about yes, reputation.com. Absolutely. The first How can you three not? for John Ronson yes. telling the story. Right. So it's so like it's, he yep. making money, right. Yeah. He does, he, he's, yeah, he's ripping on Google for making money. And there he goes. Yep. Yeah. Off of her story. And That's then the next three, of course, were pictures of her. There's, there's this, there's this and then some <laughs> soccer players. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. There's this piece of the book where he's talking to the person from reputation.com mm -hmm. about this, and the guy from reputation.com says, um, he says, uh, they're talking about how they don't take cases for people who are pedophiles at reputation.com. So they're not going to help a pedophile like, clear up their name mm -hmm. online. And John Ronson says, do you remember the pedophile's names, you know, just in the course of the conversation? And the guy from Reputation.com says, of, of course not. Why do you ask that? And he says, I don't know. I'm just curious. And uh, the guy from Reputation.com says, it's your purient, it's, it's the purient, curi uh, the guy no, from Reputation.com. such a line. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, please go The ahead. guy from Reputation.com uh, says, no, it's purient curiosity of the type you condemn in your book. And he basically is calling Ronson out yeah. as he's doing this interview, like, why do you want to know this at all? This is, you, you're asking about stuff that you, that completely irrelevant. It's just like, because you want to shame somebody else and, and calling, calling Ronson out on that. There's a, so yeah, he, Ronson is a, you know, heavy social media user and he, he calls right. himself out as that uh, mm -hmm. throughout the book. And he, he likes social media, uh, but he's, He's like sort of, it's odd to me, like he's just this 
pointing out his discovery of this bad part of social media, right. perhaps purient, I don't know. But he, <coughs> um, I think that social media is fundamentally bad. So did this change your, did this book change no, your view? It, it, or it, you've it, always it, thought that? It didn't, I, I don't know if I've always thought it because I'm a participant in it, but I, I have, um, it, it validated some of my opinions and part of that is that I think every, even when people post something that's supposed to be positive on social media, it's, uh, it's always a humble brag, always. I think mm -hmm. every social media post is, social, is a humble brag. All ones, every post that I've ever made. Yeah. Uh, me, myself, definitely. Humble brag. No question. So I wonder if that's what contributes to when people want to shame somebody. It's that you're friends with somebody on Facebook. All they do is post humble brags in, in, our, in how we're defining it, stuff about themselves. And then the one time they screw up, you're like, ah, I got them. Yeah. They've, they've been posting about their you know, kid or their car yes. or whatever, and now they've done something really stupid. And that's why we're so quick to kind of jump onto it because yeah. you're, you're almost trying to like pop the balloon of the per, you know perfection that the person has created for themselves online but yeah. he, he makes the point too like the attack posts that caused these public shamings are humble brags on the part of the participants in the shaming because they're saying look I'm against people flipping off right in front of Arlington National Cemetery I'm a real patriot right. and but I'll tell you that I'm a real patriot by telling you that I think this woman should die right Right. It's just bragging. It's yeah. like everyone is creating this reductive personality through social media. You know, he, it's, bad. I, <laughs> it's been a it's been a week since or so since I read the book. I was often just like really shocked um, by how people want to use the most the foulest language and just explode. Yeah. Uh, behind this in the safety of the internet. I mean. How did you feel the about that? I mean, the internet is yeah. hilarious. I, I guess I, 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 I mean, it was and, downright and anonymity of the internet, mm -hmm. at least. And, and I know you're not easily offended. We <laughs> talked about that before this podcast here, Gabby. But um, you know, I mean, things like I, mean, I, I really don't even want to re repeat it. It's because it's so right. crude. But w what is going on there? Why? Well, there's a there's a thing. I think you're. I assume you're asking me because I there is a thing which is that. I can't remember if it was in this book or some other thing where I read somewhere else. I don't really read that much. I don't know where I read this, but um, that that women, the way women get attacked, is totally different. It's totally different, and it's because there's immediately someone starts talking about raping the women. Yeah. The women who like you know make a joke or so there are you know several of the victims of of uh, public shaming in the book. And I particularly want to point out that this Adria Richards, we haven't talked about this, you know, one of the, one of the stories from the book, but um, she lashes out in an unfair and excessive way, is my opinion based on reading it, against two folks, two gentlemen in the tech industry who are making a joke at a conference, a tech conference about, um, and it's it's got sexual innu innuendos, but it's really light. It's not really that bad. It's well, about a, it's about a dongle. It's about we, a we, dongle. We can say dongle. dongle right? Can we, we say, say dongle? dongle. We can say dongle. Okay. I'll, I'll I mean, beep it. You can beep it. Okay. <laughs> and so she is offended by it, and she makes this big public sh publicly shames the guys, and they get fired, and blah blah. Well, the end of the chapter about the story is that she became she was victimized as much, I think, is fair to say, mm -hmm. as they were, and. Definitely, the language was much more violent and um, 
Misa- totally misogynistic. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Well, could, could you say that, in a sense, social media, even though you consider it a bad thing, <laughs> ho- holds a mirror up to this invisible dark er- undercurrent of misogynism and other things in our society, and therefore might be a good thing because it's exposing that? Definitely, like, could, yeah. Okay. I, I, don't really, I don't really think social media is totally bad, but I think <laughs> that it's, it's different. It, it needs to go through some evolving. Yeah. Stuff. What worries me about it is it doesn't feel like we're getting better with social media. I feel like there's, you know, one more of these every single day. At the end of last year, the (coughs) website Slate did a, uh, they called it the Year of Outrage, and they had on their website, you could click on every day of the year for kind of the outrage of the day, and many of them were people who had been publicly shamed throughout the course of the year. And it just, it was tiresome to even just look at because you think about, First of all, you had forgotten about 75% of the little outrages that had popped up, uh, but it, w- it was just tiresome to think that that's what we're doing for, and we go on Twitter to find the latest who's getting, who's getting attacked, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, who's getting mm-hmm. shamed. And, bi- and by the way, it's not always just a person who's getting, um, I mean, one of what seemingly is a favorite pastime right now is shaming some company for some yeah. thing that they've done, some perceived slight, like, you know, you had bad food there, all the way to the point of, you know, we had this situation wha- where the um, the woman who ran the pizza joint in northern Indiana said something about gay marriage, and then she got, like, hit really hard on Yelp and said don't. I mean, I find what she said to be completely ridiculous, but, you know, there, there was, like, a mob that tried to, like, ruin her business because she put something on on Facebook. That, yeah. that was a public shaming and, and probably not something that, you know, we should be very proud of. Is there any possibility that the public shaming that happens in social media now is filling a void, is filling a role that needs to be filled as we find ourselves in free fall in terms of traditional media, the channels through which Americans have traditionally gotten their information? And isn't social media also just a great way of getting information? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, information. A, that's a good point. I mean, it, it's democratizing the sharing of information. Mm-hmm. which is cool and a good thing. And I think, you know, I th- the, the, so <laughs> we've had these horrible tragedies happening with our police forces right now and what's, what, you know, we are talking on May 8th, 2015 and like Baltimore just had a, you know, it was a disaster in Baltimore, riots, it's a mess. Well. We're also learning how to deal, people are learning how to wield their cameras. You know, the public citizenry is learning how to wield their t- cameras in, in, in a positive way to out, you know, wrongdoings by police folks, mm-hmm. you know, local and otherwise. And the, the, there's a also a thing that happened very recently in North Charleston where a guy, a p- cop was filmed committing murder and it's a horrible thing that happened, but he, once the, the, you know, once the people who needed to see it saw the video of what happened, the guy went to jail and was charged with murder that day, the yeah. day he did it. So this, this is a great point, and it raises <laughs> the question, is, that, is this different, is this public shaming? Is yeah, I mean, so uh, that's a good, uh, well right? What Ronson's yeah. looking at is almost, you know, this, 
mob mentality. It's a mob mentality. Right. It's a different thing. You're totally right, yeah. which is something I'd love to talk about, by the way. Is our, the, there's a big discussion about what is mob mentality. It doesn't really exist. And did some hack in the 18th century actually just make it up? Spoiler yeah. alert, yes. Yes. Um, we recommend you read the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we recommend you read the book. That's but actually you're right. That's it was not, a really interesting part. I of loved it, it. Yeah. 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 But you're right. That that's n it's not public shaming. You're right. Uh, uh, like right. I just said, it was actually a piece of information simply going to the correct person. Right. One piece of information to going to one correct which, person. Which probably wouldn't have happened before all of this stuff came right. to be. This, right. The, you know, the thing, that's, that's it used properly. Yes. And, it, and right. it solidly connects, it sets the due process of the legal system in action. It connects to this. Yeah. Right. The, I think one of the things which is frightening about mob rule is it's 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 loose, it's yeah. uh, capricious, uh -huh. unpredictable. Mm -hmm. and it ma it it makes you so the takeaway for me with the book was it it does make me nervous to be on Twitter. It makes me nervous to be on um, f Facebook. Um, it probably should make me nervous to participate in a podcast. As you <laughs> said in the introduction. But um, the, the reality is, is you, I have you know X number of friends on Twitter and Facebook, and I generally think that when I post things, they understand my context and they can hear the tone in my voice. And I probably don't think you know it's shorthand. Sometimes you just right. hit hit post. And the scary part is, is a, a couple of the people who are featured in this story, Justine Sacco, one of them, you know, made a terrible dumb joke on on Twitter and wound up trending worldwide and losing her job and her her career and life mm -hmm. and everything um, and I, I we don't it could it, it feels to me at the end of reading those stories and Lindsay's stories it could happen to any single one of us yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it just just so happened we haven't gone viral yet uh, you know it's that feeling of there but for the grace of God yeah. go I um, and yeah I can't think of how many times I've like texted the most innocuous thing to my wife and she's called me up and they're like y you can lose the attitude Right now, <laughs> you know, because it just no, works on the screen, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, no, no, no. Right. <laughs> We're so in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> just FYI. Just so you know. <laughs> no, but you know, it's so easy. Even this person that knows me yeah. can see these words yeah. out of context, like can't hear my tone of voice, and totally misread it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. The 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 written word, yeah. the way the written word, as we sit in the library, is produced and shared, has fundamentally changed. Right. And I mean, the, the thing that, that really struck me about the Justine Sacco thing was her joke was, you know, didn't go over well, but it was expressing the same sentiment that all the people that shamed exactly, her had. Exactly. That's so true. Yeah. But just the, you couldn't hear her tone of voice. Right. You might not know her as a person and know that this is like sarcasm or yeah. being facetious, whatever. So it, it's just. That's so true. She was ironically saying the thing that all the other people were, right. you know. So does, do we, do we uh, as Ronson suggested toward the end of the book, again, sorry for the spoiler, are we, do we run the risk of creating a society where uh, discourse is being dumbed down because of this fear of Both. misinterpretation? So you agree with yeah, Ronson's I mean his, the way thesis? Yeah, he gets to the you know, last page of the book, which I thought was very well done, and I'll you know, just uh, yeah. read a quick piece of it. He says, um, Soon after Justine Sacco's shaming, I was t talking with a friend, a journalist, who told me he had so many jokes, little observations, potentially risque thoughts, that he wouldn't dare to post online anymore. The journalist says, I, you know, I suddenly feel with social media like I'm tiptoeing around an unpredictable, angry, unbalanced parent who might strike out at any moment. It's horrible. 
Uh, and Ronson says, he didn't want me to name him, he said, in case it sparked something off. We see ourselves as nonconformist, but I think all of this is creating a more conformist, conservative age. Look, we're saying, we're normal, this is average. And then the last line of the book is, we're defining the boundaries of normality by tearing apart the people outside of it. And that, yeah. that's, that's true here, especially for the, the, you know, the people like the Lindsay Stones and the, uh, um, e even the person who you mentioned who took the picture of the two guys at the conference, Adria Richards, I yeah. think was her particular yeah, right. name. Yeah, right, Adria. Mm -hmm. I, I thought he, he, he nailed it with that. Yeah. And there were, there were parts of this book where I felt um, he, he kind of started off, I thought, really strong, and then the, um, each chapter was, had a person that was kind of the, the focus of the chapter, and then there was like two-thirds of the way through the book, I kind of lost it a little bit. I felt like he lost a little bit of the rhythm of the book in mm -hmm. terms of the structure, but then the way he brought it back together at the end of the book with that kind of, I thought he stuck the ending, basically. Yeah. Um, with his with his thesis I'm here, with you completely. I, I'm I'm with so with you. I've yeah. enjoyed so many of his other books. Again, though, as a bit of a prude, um, when he goes and watches porn, basically porn being oh. shot, <laughs> uh, the kink.com people. I thought, you know, this again, the whole it, he's a uh, this is titillation. He's yeah. you know, um, and I thought, is this necessary? Much as I was highly entertained by the thought of John Ronson in the background of something like yeah. that. Yes. That was extremely nervous. Yes. <laughs> he did it, so I, after I read this book, um, you I You went I and looked at the porn? No, yeah. <laughs> no, I did not. I, no, I did not. No, 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 no. I went and read his, um, his book, Them, which is about extremist groups, and uh. I felt similar in terms of his structure. I felt like, again, he started off with these really great stories, and then they kind of, I felt like he was, at some point going for titillating type stuff that was less relevant to his overall theme of the book. And in fact, in that book, w which I, I believe was written pre 9-11, 2001, yeah. I, I don't think that that book held um, as well. I think this book is gonna hold up. I think in 15 years, somebody might be able to pick up this book and say, oh, that's this, what is a mo this was a moment, yeah. and it, but it's a pretty good understanding into what this time is like right now. I mean, since the book's been published, it's been one after that. Brian Williams, we've got, yeah. he's yeah. been completely shamed for telling a couple of tall tales that everybody does. Oh, Brian and the, and this yeah. I never, I didn't think about the Comedy Central, the new, oh, yeah. remember? Oh, they went, yeah, because yeah, he like, had his tweets that, again, way the new back. guy from the he day, he's a for, yeah, yeah, for making yeah, yeah. such terrible jokes. What's That's his name? I can't remember. Yeah, but he's South he, African and he yeah. made some inappropriate. He hasn't even started on the show yet. Right. And they yeah. were, you know, like the mob mentality was trying to get him. Like, we should not let him be the host yeah. of The Daily Show because he made Daily dumb show, jokes. Yeah. Now it's almost like if you're going to step up and be in the public eye, you've just got to go through the part where yeah. you're shamed for the stupid things you said yeah. in public. But and then you go through that and then you move on, yeah. you know? So I, I think, I, I want to say though, I said earlier, I don't, I think social media is bad. I think social media is, I'm going to just completely backtrack and say, I don't think that really social media is bad. I think it just, I think I did say this before, it, it's evolving and we need to evolve a little bit. And I think, you know, Brendan, you're, you're, you were saying with, with sadness, I'm interpreting, like I, I feel nervous when I'm on Twitter or Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Like frankly, you should because it's public. And right. there are a bunch of people who don't know you at all, right. who will see, who could potentially see something you put on social media, and that's okay. That's the way it is. It would be yeah. like, like I feel nervous when I go out and stand in the middle of Fountain Square and yell something that's a joke. Right. I feel nervous about it. 
you should, <laughs> because yeah. I don't know right. any of those people. They're all a bunch of strangers, right. and they might not get my joke. And so there's an interesting okay. question along along the lines of that. Is there's the in Europe there are privacy advocates who are advocating for something called the right right to be forgotten. And yeah, I, yeah. I know enough so about this to be dangerous, but the idea is you should be able to petition search engines or other online you know websites or whatever to to have your record erased if you want it to be erased. I, how does the group feel about that in general? Uh, you should. I mean, this is this is an example. We have this amazing tool, with, and we have very little control over it. Yeah. And further, this, this mechanism is tied in to our economics. We've already sort of covered this, how Google makes money when right. bad things happen. Yeah. They probably also make money when good things happen. But, yeah. it, but but the, what's the end? You know, how do you, how do we regain control of this mechanism? You know, and I'm also curious. Um, sorry, Chris. Uh, I, I just he, nobody seems to unplug. Nobody quits the whole game. Nobody just like disappears and goes and lives in the woods, which mm -hmm. I'm surprised by. Of all the, you know, you mean other people in the book? Yeah, or and it never seems to come. Or just generally. Generally, I, I know people who you know quit Facebook, you know, quit Twitter. Gasp. <laughs> and so I guess my, it's not a question so much, but I'm, su I'm surprised it didn't come up sort of in this book that, um, w yes, the, this is horrible. People are being publicly shamed, but there's, there's a big off switch. You know, I, think right? I think it's, what, what I, again, I keep, I keep saying this, but I think there are people now who I know, whom I know, who are, who wield the tools very effectively. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, basically... They have online personas, and they're they're thematic, and sometimes they're funny, but sometimes they're self-serving and maybe political, whatever. But their their online persona is one thing. It's like th we're all journalists, you know. It's like whatever we write about, whatever we, you know, talk about on, on social media is one thing, and then we can choose to be whoever we are in other things. And I think when you were talking about, um, you know. The last page of the book, us all turning into this conservative, scary society. That's just what we're becoming, you know, conservative, scared thing in a box. That's what we're becoming on social media, and that's okay. I think people on social media can communicate something specific and, again, some thematic. But then we can no still be whoever we are in real life. There's real life, and then there's... But see, I think that's where... <coughs> that's how I don't know how we're evolving, and that's what I get a little nervous about, mm -hmm. is that it is, is Facebook and Twitter is one avenue to be publicly shamed and we have sometimes people say oh well you deserved it you posted it on twitter so right. you're a you're an idiot you posted something done yeah. on twitter you got publicly shamed see you shouldn't post things on twitter but as technology becomes more pervasive I in terms of cameras on streets mm -hmm. in terms of you know your computer recording everything you've done mm -hmm. emails becoming public text messages you know being able to be shared at what point uh, are, is our behavior going to be affected writ large, not just online? I actually, I kind of have an alternative theory of how this thing is going to play out. Chris's alternative yeah. theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on, please. Get ready. <laughs> I think it kind of has to do with what you're talking about. I don't think that it's going to be that the idea of normal gets locked in and everyone outside of it gets shamed. I think everyone is going to get get the turn being shame maybe or enough people are it's going to be such a regular thing that shame kind of is less of a part of it i mean everyone cool. is would just get used to the idea okay you know i have a friend that
makes stupid jokes sometimes, but he's okay. You know, I just think the idea of, you know, you say something stupid on Twitter and that's something to shame you for is going to be less and less of a thing. I mean, already we don't know the name of that. We don't remember the name of the daily right. show guy. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to be a big deal. I mean, every, it seems like every time it happens, it's maybe less of a big deal. Yeah. It has less of an, act, uh, an impact. So I think maybe it's going to be more like we get used to the idea that that's very true people on social media are still the same people and you have to give them the same maybe i'm being overly charitable to people but i think we'll get so used to this shaming thing and oh well actually these always turn out to be not a big deal that's so true so we'll just get used to it yeah it's like kind of a growing pain we're going through i wonder holding do you think it's an age generational thing it's going to be people who are um you know the generation who's been on facebook since they were old enough to, to type you know, m most of us, I think, in this room are on, we're on Facebook m much later on. Yeah. M there are people now who are entering the workforce who've been on Facebook since they were in high school. And right. so their entire, they're just more used to this kind of stuff. And yeah. it's less, you know, less interesting to them. I feel like people our age are more doing the, I'm going to put my, this is my persona I want you to see. Yeah. I'm going to put it on Facebook. I think younger people are more like, just whatever, you know, this is what yeah, I'm thinking right now. No filter, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think like those, or I think this is what you were saying. I think these younger people are more used to the idea that, okay, this is not someone's persona and they, obviously they want their persona to be, they flip off the Arlington National right. Cemetery. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be more like, oh, well, you know, I do that. I mean, I put everything up there. They're putting everything up there. So I think it's going to be less. I, I see that sometimes like in a, in a, environment where you people look online and they are m maybe they meet somebody for the first time and then they stalk them on Facebook or stalk mm -hmm. them on Twitter and they say they make snap judgments on them based on oh look if they were drinking at a party yeah. or you know an employer who's getting ready to hire somebody looks on Facebook and then decides they see somebody who's drinking at a party and they are shamed in a way maybe they don't get the job they're not publicly shamed but they're shamed in a way that has an impact on their life I, I think you're right. I think the younger generation, when they're in position to make hiring decisions like that, they're going to look and they're going to be like, whatever. So there's a picture of him drink, you mm -hmm. know, drinking on Facebook. Whereas people who are 15 years older than us, that is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe someone would put that online. They'll be like, your tasteless jokes are actually pretty funny. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> or is Unlike that just what we're hoping so that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're employable in the future? Yeah. <laughs> what about public, sh what about sh public shaming on sort of a more personal level? Um, for example, uh, my sister once posted on Facebook, um, my husband was drinking beer all night, uh, out drinking late, it's noon, and he still hasn't gotten out of bed, and she <laughs> posts this on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, is that just, was my sister wrong to do that? Uh, <laughs> maybe? Let's, let's yeah. Pretend like it wasn't your sister. Somebody, say somebody okay. did that. That was, was purely hypothetical. Stella, if you're listening to this, <laughs> welcome to the 12th Story Podcast <laughs> where we shame other people. <laughs> Family members. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can tag people. I mean, I have my settings so that people can't tag me on Facebook. But yeah. then you also, you know, Facebook like guilts you into setting your privacy settings to more open. Mm -hmm. uh, are you sure they you don't want to be tagged? They just change the settings every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they just keep You changing. feel like you're not, you're like losing half of the experience if you're not fully plugged in. Yeah. I think it, that, that she should, that's just the same as if she called up everyone she knew and said that. Yeah. So if you think that's wrong, I think what she did is wrong. Well, <laughs> I, I thought, it, I just thought it was interesting <laughs> because, you know, it's, yeah. uh, 
you're taking sort of the private sphere of the family, yeah. uh, where you know every marriage has its tensions, <laughs> and, and you're no. leveraging. Yeah. You're, she's like leveraging the disapproval of the of the community against mm. him. And I'm not saying it worked. As far as I know, he still drinks beer. But <laughs> you, you know, I think I, I, the, the other the other takeaway I had, and get this gets back to what you were saying earlier, Chris, is I, I am tired of these sort of stories. I'm yeah. tired of the flare-up of the day, the year of the outrage, like, like Slate said. It, I mean, if you go on Gawker when we walk out of here right now, somebody will be getting shamed for something stupid they posted, whether they're an author or a, uh, a, sp you know, a sports person. It's like the little viral hit of the day. And, some of, and I think one of the other problems that we haven't really discussed yet is that we've talked about Google's incentive to make money off people searching somebody's name, but then you have these websites like Gawker and BuzzFeed is, I mean, BuzzFeed is fun to read, but mm -hmm. it is it is like ground zero for people getting shamed and doing mm -hmm. dumb things yeah. sometimes. And they are making an incredible amount of right. money. You know, local woman does this and it, yeah. and it goes viral and it winds up on WLWT's 11 o'clock news because they're looking for, you know, 90 seconds of news, yeah. quote unquote news. <laughs> um, and I, I think that um, we're rewarding this behavior, obviously, with our yeah. eyeballs. And I, I hope that we get to the point where we stop doing that at some yeah. point. And at least Google doesn't drive the shape. Right. They may they might monetize it, <laughs> but right. they don't like generate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. That's true. Good job, Google. Thanks. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for everything. <laughs> so let's wrap things up here with a round robin. Um, was there a particular episode? Uh, well, let's start with you, Chris. Okay. In the book that um, you found particularly entertaining or enlightening or just fascinating what was it and why i just i think the the scene that i thought was really interesting was the the when he goes to the porn shoot i mean first it was a funny image like his when he apologizes for ruining anyone's good time because an alish guy is peeking in with the notebook <laughs> in the back that was and you really up. I, i'd love to have heard the conversation he had explained this to his wife when yeah, he got on the plane <laughs> <laughs> but anyway the, the, they they just showed in that little he showed in that little segment just people that didn't have any shame and what that looks like and how that kind of seems to be the uh I, I can't remember the auteur's name of the <laughs> pornography but that was her thing is like you know this is this is just what we do we're not ashamed of it and uh i don't know i thought that was an interesting part of this is like just not having any shame what is that how can you be shamed if you don't have any shame yeah. gabby <coughs> so we didn't talk about him at all, but Jim McGreevy um, is a politi New Jersey politician who um, was publicly shamed um, for being um, a closeted um, gay man, uh, essentially. And he, but his story is just unbelievably redemptive, and he's doing this really cool stuff. And he's like, he's one of those people. It sounds like the way that the author talks about him, he's like one of those people that when one is around him, um, it's surprising and shocking and hard to believe how positive and sort of happy and blessed he is and sort of like evolved, I would say, to use the word I've used a lot today. But uh, there's a part of that description of him where we learned that shaming as a means of punishment doesn't work. And I think that's something I just want to say because I thought that was a really important and significant piece of information that was shared in the book that we should all know. And um, it's not, 
you know, we don't, we, we practice, I think our prison system, our punishment system uses shaming and it's, it, it shouldn't because it, it doesn't work. It doesn't fix the problem. It, it destroys lives. Yeah. I, you're, I think that you're right. I think that was a really interesting, interesting part of the book. Yeah. Um, w we didn't talk about the, uh, the part that I thought, I don't know if this was my favorite part of the book, but it was one that we haven't talked about. It's that, uh, the character Max. Mosley, who or Mosby, Mosley, Mosley, who is the? Uh, w I guess he was. Did he run F one racing or something? Yeah, he ran. In, yeah, he he ran F F one racing, and he was caught by one of the tabloids for having a orgy with you know playing dress up and a really embarrassing sort of thing. And I just thought the interplay between um, him and the author was really funny. I mean, this is where Ronson is really good at taking pieces of the conversation of the person that he's interviewing and then highlighting a larger point. And the, the larger point that he's sort of making with Max is Max just kind of embraced, yeah, you, that's what I did. He, he was not shamed. That people yeah. were trying to shame him, but he was not ashamed by what he was doing. Yeah. There's some other pieces of story that make that a little bit more complex, I think, especially when you learn at it. But I, I thought that that was a, uh, a highlight of the book in the, in the way Ronson kind of teased that story out of him. It shows... It's it's one of the reasons I would recommend people yeah. read the book. Yeah, like when he's like, "How did you get away with this?" I don't know. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he was just like, yeah. I don't know. "Whatever." Yeah. I'm, you know, I don't now, really I, I, it, it helps. I mean, Lindsay Stone was not rich and powerful and the head of F1 and have lawyers at her, you know, beck and call like he did. I mm -hmm. mean, he had some things going for him, but also his attitude about it was way different than you know, Jonah Lair. Jonah Lair could have maybe taken a lesson from. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And I, I think I was actually most fascinated, I think, by the Jonah Lehrer, um, Michael Moynihan segment at the beginning of the book. Very early on, it set up this, people sort of describe Bronson as um, a gonzo journalist because, you know, it's like Hunter S. Thompson. The idea that the journalist can actually be remo removed from their story is, it's just impossible. Right. And um, so, the point in the book where uh, he's talking about Lair and sort of sets it up as, well, shouldn't we be sympathetic? He has kids. He's just trying to make a living. And then he drops a photo of Jonah Lair's multi-million dollar yeah. house yeah. in the book. And I thought, this is patent. We're, this is he's transparently manipulating us. Mm -hmm. if that's yeah. the thing. If if you can do that, you know, on the one hand, you're playing with us, but you're also showing that you're playing with us. So I thought it was a comp complicated book that really spurred yeah. additional. I, I mean, I, I'll be thinking about it for a long time. I well, he, he's getting, you know, he's on speed dial for, you know, the meta parts of stories now. So yeah. Yeah. For, we're, for the for the next year, somebody's going to get shamed, and then there'll be a story about that person getting shamed, and Ronson's going to get be the first person on the phone. You wrote a book about being yeah, publicly yeah, shamed. Yeah. It's smart to do it. I mean, I was reading a Brian Williams article from yesterday where Ronson's quoted and mm. talking about yeah. Brian Williams shaming um so uh, it, it's very timely it's v very much a, a book of the moment yeah. i think yeah. um but i think it actually is going to be instructive to people who look back you know how we are in 2015. i agree yeah yeah so you you've read more john ronson i think than anyone else here how does this fit into the john ronson canon i it reminded me so much of the psychopath test i feel that ever since he wrote the psychopath test you know he he constantly references it. He's, yeah. you know, turned to as this expert <laughs> on psychopaths. And sorry to keep returning to him. I kept thinking, 
Jonah Lehrer, you psychopath. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, it really does. Uh, uh, Brennan mentioned them also, and it sort of fits in with that too. Just really exploring the the dark psychology underlying the strange things that happen around us all the time. Chris, read. Th do you recommend that our listeners read the book or don't read the book? I do. It's a funny book, and it's as Brennan said, it's very timely, and I think it gives a good. You know, it'll put make you cautious, and maybe make you think twice before you participate in something like this. Definitely read the book. Said, should our listeners read it or not read it? Not to read the book would be a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think I think this is a it's a great read. It's an airplane read. You can read it really quickly. Uh, I think anybody who's on social media should think about this and think about it in kind of a. Um, not just flip flippant fashion, you know, be, be thoughtful about what you're doing. And he, he raises a lot of good issues here. Yeah. Um, I say read it too. You'll get to see a picture of John Ronson dressed up as a woman. Um, I highly recommend it. Read it now. It's that a page turner. That was hilarious. That was a funny part. Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone that doesn't read this book, we should find him on Twitter and, and shame him. <laughs> 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 absolutely. All right. Well, let's wrap things up with a by asking uh, our participants, now that you've finished this book, what are you looking forward to reading next? Let's start with you, Brennan. I'm going to read uh, David McCullough's The Wright Brothers, which, are, which uh, dropped on Tuesday. Uh, I, mean, I love his writing, uh, and uh, it's got great Ohio background because of obviously the Wright Brothers being from just up the road in Dayton, so I'm looking forward to it. And, and invented flight here, not in North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> People in North Carolina are nuts. First in flight. I'm going to finish the New Yorker article I'm reading right now by Atul Gawand. I'm guessing maybe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he's the medical, he's an MD yeah. and he's a medical writer and he's writing about um, over-treatment in America and it's fascinating. <coughs> I count New, York, New Yorker articles. As books, especially. Yeah. <laughs> and so. then, because um, uh, I get through a lot more of them than I do books. <laughs> and then I'm going to read um, All the Light We Cannot See, I believe been recommended and it's sitting on my bedside table I'm going to go ahead and read it well uh, I got nothing <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it you, right you got grad school yeah I'm in grad school right kids. now so I have a couple of textbooks I'm going to read those you'll be reading, reading your child, children's faces for yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you for be careful the mercantile library membership will shame you yeah they will <laughs> work here no, I deserve it shame <laughs> you for not I got it coming said I am setting out on Henderson the Rain King by Saul Bellow. Um, I loved Herzog and I loved Seize the, the very short novel Seize the Day and I believe this is the one between the two and Chris recommended it's it. It's one of my favorite books ever. Nice. Awesome. Well thanks everybody. Uh, please tune in in the future. The 12th Story Podcast is produced and directed by Gabby Blosher, Brennan Kulse, Chris Messick and Cedric Rose. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Special thanks to the Mercantile Library.